This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 21 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter Pence, how are you doing today? Grant, it is an exciting day. Once again, another crazy week, and we are now in September baseball, and the all of the races are getting pretty tight. These wild cards are being exactly that, very wild. I'm excited about it. Yeah, no, and we were talking a little bit before we got on here how it doesn't quite feel like September yet. I was saying like, oh, it just felt like opening day was yesterday. I think you you corrected me on that one. It, yeah, it doesn't feel like yesterday. It, baseball's like, it's it's a paradox. It feels like it goes on for 18 years, but it also feels like, oh, wow, it's September already? I, I wasn't prepared for September. It got to September a little quick here, but it's flying by. It feel it definitely feels, you know, I, I mentioned this in one of the earlier podcasts that it feels a lot longer when you're playing, but it's like kind of like surprise. It's September. We are like, we are ready for charging into playoff baseball and getting some answers to the long drama of the long baseball season. Now, as a player, like, do you notice, I mean, obviously you notice how long the season is, but like, do you compare it with other sports? Like baseball is the grindiest of the grind sports, like football, it's uh, 17 games now, blah, you, it's over. And and hockey, it's still a long season. Basketball is about half of the games. Do you ever like contemplate like, wow, baseball is nuttier than all those sports? You just know what you have. And like the thing is, is that it's 162 games in the regular season, but there's also like 40 spring training games on top of that that you don't even really calculate. Um, That's that's bananas. And, you know, and on those spring training games, you're like, you have practice before the game. So it's a, it's a grind. And, and, but that's what you sign up for. And that's all you know is, is baseball is, yeah, we play every day. I think that's the hardest thing is that there's like one or two off days a month. That's the toughest thing. Like at one time, I think we had in the last month of the season with Philly, uh, in 2011, it was like 34 games in 32 days. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. One of the things that with baseball, because it's the oldest North American professional sport, is that back when they were setting this stuff up and going like, yeah, 154 games, 162 games, that sounds reasonable. There was like no TV. There was, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? Listen to the radio? You're not going to play on your screens. You're, you're going to go to a game. You're going to listen to the game. So, uh, yeah, I think that has a part, something to do with it. And I wonder, like, is it too long for the modern? Like, is it just kind of an anachronism that it's still that long? Or is it fine though, just the way it is? Both are can be correct. Like, 
it's great the way it is. It is very difficult, uh, very demanding, but I also think maybe a shorter season could be great as well. I don't think that one or the other is good or bad, and I don't know which one is better. All I know is that, you know, like chasing history and a lot of the marks of, uh, you know, the home run records and just all of the history is part of the fun of each season is comparing, you know, your season to, you know, the all the all time greats. And if you start changing the amount of games, then you lose a lot of that fun of like, you know, back in the 40s, Babe Ruth did this and this is what, you know, Gene Carlo Stanton did today. So to me, a lot of the fun in baseball and I would say it's maybe 25% of the audience of baseball loves following those stats and, 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 and comparing all of the players to each other. That is the only thing that makes me pause when it goes to like, oh, shorter seasons, because I like comparing that stuff. I like going back to, you know, 1962 and saying, oh, this is what this player did compared to that. That's the only thing. That's the only reason. And it's a big reason. Like, I, I, I think that the season is too long. At the same time, I don't want to mess with it because I just... I like my stats. I like that stuff. All right. Well, this is going to segue awkwardly, but it's sort of in the same realm of I want to pick your brain. And this is the pick hunter's brain segment. And all week we've been hearing about the Mets and Francisco Lindor and Javier Baez and Kevin Pillar and getting on second base and and doing the thumbs down as a response to the fans booing them. I don't want to like put my seeds out there first. I want to hear just your initial reactions to this, to the players' response to the fans, their, uh, the fans' obligation to the players, the players' obligation to the fans. What's on your brain when you hear a story like this? Well, it's not just like a one-word answer or a... I'm not like a super black and white. I'm a forgiving person, right? So like I am going to be one to, to like... You know, how do you respond when you, you you do something and whatever the case may be? And I like to be forgiving. I'm going to preface it with that. And I'm going to say we all can take a note from like Tom Brady and Derek Jeter. Tom Brady lost. A, I watched him lose a playoff game at home and they hadn't like lost a game at home in a while. And they just didn't play their best. And Tom Brady's won more Super Bowls than any franchise in the history. And he was getting booed at home. And they asked him about it afterwards. And, you know, Tom Brady's like, oh, I would have booed us too. That was that was not the performance that, you know, we're paid to make. And so he kind of agreed with them. Derek Jeter, another great, great, you know, just amazing face of baseball. You know what? I would have booed us too. And we got to be better and ends up having a great season. He was hitting 197 at the time. So it's like there's a reason why these people are great leaders and, and do these things. And there's nothing – I'm not saying anything wrong with these guys because you get emotional when things are going wrong and you're getting booed and you want to do good for them. But I think you got to just like know your role and be like, yeah, you're right. I got to be accountable. I got to play better. I get it. You're going to boo me now. But when I play great, we're going to celebrate together because, you know, you see Javi Baez score on a crazy single from first and they're giving him the thumbs up, you know, and I'm sure they were booing him. I didn't get to watch the whole game. I just looked at the highlights. They won a doubleheader yesterday. And maybe, maybe this is the thing that unites them. You know, maybe this mistake that Baez made and we all forgive him. And, he, you know, he's like, you know what? I have to play good now because I really made myself, you know, I kind of put my foot in my mouth, which will happen. And like, and you see why, like, it, it's emotionally painful when you're struggling and then getting booed on top of it. It adds up. Maybe he's like, all right. Yeah, I can't, I can't boo the fans. Like, that's the wrong thing to do. You don't fight fire with fire. And you know what? I can do better. And maybe this is where he just like, he goes into a savage mode and the Mets just go off. So you never know. But uh, that's kind of my thoughts is I'm going to forgive him. I think you can learn from Tom Brady and Derek Jeter. And maybe it's the spark that they needed. We don't know. I've always thought that when it comes to fans booing a lot of the time, most of the time, it, what it is is 
they're booing management or the owners or whatever. They're saying, you put these players in this position. We don't like it. We don't like the result. It's less, we don't like that player as a person. It's more, I don't like what I'm watching. I need to send a message to someone. There's no email address that's going to get read. There's nothing. This is how I express that. And a lot of times that's all it is and it's natural and it's understandable. I have less patience for when fans boo a player because he's making too much money and underperforming. Like I, I don't have a lot of patience for that, but just in general, sending a message I think can be important and it's the fans right. And I also think that when you're, you know, if you're a player and you're feeling like that or you're hearing that, it's okay to feel like, I don't like that either. You know, I don't like receiving this message. I have I have received this message and I'm sending it back. Like, I don't like it, you know? And so for them to take it and use it as like, you know, at first it's just, they're doing it for each other. They're saying, you know, I am using this as fuel. I'm hearing them. I'm fired up by it. And let's use this as fuel, guys. Like, I have like no problems with that either. So on both sides, it's great. But then once it starts getting explained, I think that's where everything gets wrong. When it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're thumbs down in the fans. It's like, no, 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 just just zip it. Just make something up. You know, do it internally and make something up. That's the real problem It's just the messaging. Otherwise, I don't have an issue with the fans booing. I don't have an issue with the players taking offense to it. Yeah, it's part of sports. It's part of the fun of sports. And they're going to guess what? As soon as you start performing good, they're going to celebrate and be right on page. And you, and like a lot of players will be like, well, if you're going to boo me when I'm struggling, you can't cheer with me. But that's not how it works. That's the part of the entertainment and the fun is how hard it is and how tough it is. And can you overcome adversity? So like it's in those dark times that you have to be the strongest. And I'm hoping that this is fuel to the fire and we start getting a lot of thumbs up. Either way, it's entertaining for sure. And I'm going to enjoy watching how, the, how they finish off. I, I know they have a very... Very tough road ahead of them. They have a lot of hot teams, and the NL wild card is something that's very exciting to me, Grant. I can tell when we hop on, uh, when we hop on before we're doing, we, we go live and before we start recording, I can kind of tell what you are fired up about, right? It's like you, you come on, it's like, hey, how you doing? I got to talk about this wild card, right? Like, I got to talk about what's going on in the NL, in the AL. I mean, there's all sorts of things going on. So, Hit me with some wildcard thoughts because uh, it is, like you said, uh, wild. Well, I mean, the situation that we're in, and the two spot is the is the big one. You know, San Francisco and, and Los Angeles are pretty tight at the top of the West. Whoever ends up second place is going to be that first slot. They're way out ahead. But then the the reason I'm excited about the NL wildcard is a team is creeping up from the grave. They are Lazarus, and they are known for having these crazy comebacks out of nowhere where they're completely out of the picture, and I've seen them do it, and it's some of the old-timers, but the St. Louis Cardinals are snooking their way right into the, the picture where September, everyone's like, I've been a part of these Septembers where you're like, oh, everything's going to stay the same. And even at the halfway point, I did, I had a couple talks on different podcasts and things. And everyone's like, yeah, all the divisions are going to stay, stay the same. Not true. The Atlanta Braves have done the, their thing. The East has switched. The Red Sox fell. The Rays are in the lead. And they're like charging the second half. So the St. Louis Cardinals are doing some St. Louis Cardinals things. And September is a month that they always find a way to be good. So I am loving this Reds charge. I do like them. I actually think the Padres are going to fight for this. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. All right. If you want some good news and bad news for the, the Cardinals, uh, 10 games left against the Brewers. That's good. You can charge up the standings. You can, you can take control of your own destiny. The bad news is 
10 games against the Brewers. And not just that, the Cardinals have to face the Dodgers for four. They have to face the Padres for three, the Reds for five. They have one of the toughest schedules left. And then we're looking at a website, uh, tankathon.com. That's a great URL. And it's also showing that the Padres have the toughest schedule, period. They don't just play the Giants 10 times and the Dodgers six times. They're playing the Astros, the Braves, and the Cardinals. They're getting all this weirdness outside of their division. That's the toughest schedule. And then, you know, it's like one against the Diamondbacks and two against the Angels. That's their uh, breather. So, yeah, the the Padres are really uh, – they're going to have – like, if they make it, watch out for the Padres in the postseason, that's for sure. And then if you're looking at the weakest strength of schedule, at the very bottom is Philadelphia. They got three against the Brewers, three against the Braves. And then it's just Orioles, Pirates, Marlins, Nats, Cubs, Rockies. So, Philadelphia – now that we mention it and we go into strength of schedule, and they've been kind of hot lately, having the easiest kind of schedule, they definitely could be the team to sneak this out. But right above them is actually the Reds, who only have – wow, yeah. So the Reds kind of have a, a coast here as well. So three against the Dodgers, two against the White Sox, and five against the Cardinals. But then it's nine against the Pirates, three Tigers, three Cubs, four Nats. So uh, Cincinnati and Philadelphia, if you're looking at strength of schedule, definitely have – Kind of a, a cloudy, cloudy way. The trickiest part about this is uh, that this is a real simple way of looking at the strength of schedule. You're saying, okay, this team's under 500. That means that they're easy, that if this contender plays them, you should expect the contender to win. The team that screws all of that up is the Colorado Rockies. Because at home, they are a 100-win pace team. Like They are excellent, excellent, excellent at Coors Field. They are dominant at Coors Field. On the road, you know, they're like the the 61 Mets or something. They are just abysmal. They are historically awful. So that's when you're looking at stuff like that. The Phillies, they get the Rockies and uh, they get them at home. You know, they the Rockies are starting an East Coast swing in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's going to help the Phillies. The Giants get six against the Rockies and they're cracking their knuckles all in Coors Field. That's not good. I almost would rather see if I'm the Giants, I would rather them go to like Dodger Stadium than Coors Field in some ways. Like they do better at Dodger Stadium in recent history than Coors Field. So it really depends where you're getting the Rockies. Okay. I mean, that's definitely interesting for sure. And um, something to, to, to look at. I had no idea that the Rockies were on a hundred win pace at home. That kind of split kind of rattles your brain a little bit. Like what are they doing at home? Like what's going on there? It does. Let me get you the exact. So they have at home 43 and 22. That's a 662 winning percentage. And by my back of the envelope, that's 107 win pace. Like that is not just a good team. That's a great team. That's a historic team on the road. They're 17 and 50. That is a 254 winning percentage. And that is going to put them at 41 wins. So 41 and 121 losses. That's bananas. I've never seen a team like that. Even in the Rockies history, they've had years like this, nothing like this. That split begs you to question some things. Like, what is going on? Like, I'm sorry, but that is too big of a split for me to buy that there's nothing different going on. And I mean, I know home is cozy and comfortable. Uh, I know that that field plays different. That's... 
That's interesting. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be one to assume things, but that is something that you got to like, if you're the Rockies, you got to look at like what's going on here. And if you're an opposing team, you got to look at it like, what the heck is going on here? Like, I don't know what to say about that. That 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 should not ever happen. In the history of the Rockies, there has been, like, I wrote a, a chapter for Baseball Perspective a couple years ago. 29 teams have this really tough problem, and it's the problem of how to solve baseball, right? That's a tough enough problem. The Rockies have that problem, but then they have the problem of Coors Field and they're trying all sorts of different things. In the history of the Rockies, they've done the piggyback starters. They've done, let's build our rotation out of sinker ballers. Let's build our uh, rotation out of big money free agents like Mike Hampton, Denny Nagel. Let's, they've tried all sorts of things. They're just throwing stuff to the wall. And the latest problem is when our hitters go on the road, they forget how to hit. They're not picking up the spin. Everything's different. It breaks their brain. They've been actively trying to figure this problem out and whatever they're doing, it's working worse than ever. I will say this is like, if you're facing the Rockies pitching in Coors, it's not just that the ball flies off of your bat. The breaking balls don't break the same. Balls don't move the same. So it's just like, it's almost like everything just kind of slows down a tick. It's subtle, but it's a big deal. Like, you know, like watching Ottavino slider in San Francisco back when he was with the Rockies versus when he was in Coors was night and day. It was like this circus pitch on the road and and Coors, it's just sliders don't slide. Like you got to watch out for those sliders. You need to have cutters. You need to have four seam rise. That's kind of like the things that work in Coors. But I always like get a little sketched out with the humidor ball and like, are we all using the same ball kind of thing? I don't know. This is one reason why I don't like teams having control of a humidor ball. I don't I don't love that baseball allows them to do that because I know back in the day like like even like in college and stuff people would have like very bright balls to give the pitchers of the opposing team and very muddied up balls and dirty balls that are a lot harder to see to your pitchers. So, you know, like people are looking out to do these things. I don't know if they're doing that. I'm not calling that. I just don't like any different balls being anywhere. Back when I was an unruly blogger, I remember that Tim Lincecum, when he was on the mound once and he got a ball back at Coors Field and he picked it up and he, he said, no, I don't like this ball, threw it back. And he could read his lips and he said, effing juiced ball BS, except he didn't use the initials. And it became like this big kind of viral hit. Oh, everyone's sharing the gif and stuff like that. Since then, I have matured. I have gotten a, a little bit more reasonable. And it's I don't think that there's a concerted effort to to monkey around. I don't think that that would be plausible. I think if you're an umpire, you're getting baseballs. You can kind of feel the difference maybe between some that are kept in the humidor. Maybe some, I, I would think that there would be a lot of risk, a lot of reward, but it would be very easy, I think, for, for teams to suss that out. Is that accurate? I mean, it seems like it would be easy for teams to say, oh, something's very different here. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult, actually, because, you know, like your pitcher doesn't know what what balls the other opposing teams coming out with. Right. And I, But maybe it is tough because you do have to hand. I don't know the whole order of things and you have to hand them to the umpire and stuff. But I do know they check the balls for a scratch, but they're not like squeezing the balls. The pitchers can maybe feel the difference. So I'm sure it's totally fine and, and dandy. Like I said, I personally don't like that they you can have a different ball than the regular ball. I don't like that. I don't trust it. We talked about it earlier. I can't remember when it was, but now uh, nine teams are using a humidor. So we don't want to just say, oh, it's just the Rockies. The Rockies are being weird. Like, no, no. It's nine definitely teams not. now, you know, so it's... I don't like it in any of those stadiums, <laughs> uh, you know, but what, what are you going to do? And 
like winning is like teams do a lot of things to win. They've been known to do some 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 suspect things. I don't want to accuse anyone or or whatever, but I, that split just makes me quite like. And it could just be, you know, like you said, like imagine being at home and facing these pitchers. Like I said, with the Rockies, like facing Adovino in Colorado versus facing him in San Francisco, your hitters get really accustomed to the ball not breaking as much. They're locked into that. And then you go on the road and these balls are breaking a lot more. It's a lot tougher to hit and you get used to how it carries in Colorado. So it definitely is a very hitters friendly park. And I, I can imagine it being really tough not only to stay healthy in Colorado because it's very hard to run there, but to like hit every day there and then go on the road and like everything's a lot nastier. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Let's move to the Reds because the Reds are in this wild card that, that we're talking about, this wild card race. They are going to be fighting with the Padres and the Cardinals and the Mets, the Phillies and, and all of that. The Reds schedule, they do play the Dodgers. They play the White Sox. Uh, they have five against the Cardinals. So it's not all gravy, but they have nine games against the Pirates. They have four against the Nationals, three against the Zombie Cubs, and three against the Tigers. The Tigers are more interesting than a lot of people gave them credit for this year. They should feel proud of this season as a building block. Still not a great team. So the Reds have a lot of games coming up against teams they should beat. That should make a difference, right? It does. It does. Now, I will say this, like a lot of times the easy path isn't the best path to going into the playoffs. Like it's great for getting you into the playoffs and, you know, you're going to earn it if you earn it. But like I remember in 2014 with the Giants, we played the Dodgers a whole bunch. And I remember that they kept setting up their rotation it was like the all-star break. We opened with the team and then we ran into the Dodgers and it was like, I forget who we opened with. It might've been like the nationals or whoever. And it was just like Scherzer, Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez. And then the Dodgers set it up where it was like their best two, where it was into Kershaw into so-and-so. And then we went into the third series and it was back to the one and two of like the Padres at the time. And so literally we played the whole last month facing number one and number twos because, and then we ran back into the Dodgers who reset it up. They're number one and number two. So all we did was face the best pitchers every opposing team had. And it was like the nastiest people at the time. And I remember we end up going to, that was 2014 when we went to Pittsburgh. And I don't remember what our record was, but think about how locked in you are when all you are facing every single night is the number one and number two of the opposing team. You are ready to battle and you just got battle tested. So yeah, we lost the division in LA and they did all their stuff to set up their one and two to beat us and they won the division. But then we got hot in the playoffs and it didn't matter what you were throwing, we were hitting you. That's a good point. You spend September and you're you're going against these pitchers who are struggling to be on the back end of a 26-man roster. Guys who are auditioning for next year, guys who are just, you know, there because there's no one else to be there. You're facing these guys, you're facing these guys, then boom, you're in the postseason and Brandon Woodruff is throwing 97 wherever he wants and it's like, uh, time out, time out. Wait, 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 what is that? Is that, le- you know, that can't be legal. That seems like a tough, a tough uh, adjustment. Yeah, and speaking of the Brewers and Woodruff, by the way, they have the three-headed Hydra, man. They are, they have, like, and, and we were talking about this a little bit before. It's nice to get in on, like, a cloudy, easy schedule and stuff, but, like, the main goal of all of this, the reason you want to get to the playoffs is to beat the best. You got to beat the best to be the best. And so, if, like, the Padres, like, come through this, like, torturous schedule, they're going to be primed 
to win the whole thing because they're going to come through the fire or whoever it is, like the Cardinals as well, who have a very tough schedule. And it's Major League Baseball. All teams can beat you at any time. You know, there's a couple that are you, you should win the series. Like, you know, this year the Orioles or something perhaps. But besides that, it's all good. But if you can really make it through those tough teams, you come in with a lot of confidence. That's just my take. But I do want to get into our other thing that we were talking about, which is just ranking the top three teams in, in each the American and the National League. Grant, who do you got? I'm going to preface my rankings as saying this is not the best team, right? This is the teams that I want least to face in in the postseason, right? These are the teams that I'm looking at and I'm saying in a best of five, in a best of seven. No, no, I don't want this team. And I'm going to start with the Brewers because we we talked about them uh, just now. And like that seems like a team that is built for the postseason. They're built in that they have a top-heavy rotation, right? You've got Burns, you've got Woodruff, Freddie Peralta's going to be there. That's a top three, and it doesn't necessarily matter. You're going to need a fourth starter, okay, but you have that that Hydra that you're talking about. And then, okay, so you struggle against them, you struggle against them, maybe you do great against them, and you get those guys out in the sixth inning. Like, you've ground them, and, and you only scored one run, but hey, you got their pitch count up, and then, oh gosh, it's Devin Williams, it's Josh Hader, it's Brent Suter, it's Brad Boxberger. It is a team that, to me, they could use a little more offense, but they seem built for the postseason. And it's pitching and defense that gets you there. And and they have some guys that are going to give you some good at-bats. And some guys that have been a little bit better in the second half than they were in the first half. So it's a little bit misleading. The Brewers are very scary. They're definitely at the top of the list. And, I mean, that's one that we haven't talked about that much. But they are primed and they are very capable. And they're going to be a tough series. But at the same time, so are the Dodgers and so are the Braves. The Braves are are now getting healthy. Ian Anderson came back, had an outstanding start against the Giants. And they're kind of clicking on all cylinders as well. Freed is hot. They have a really strong offense. So there's a lot of teams looking good. But with the Braves being that hot, they just, you know, the Dodgers are just handling them. How do you feel like the Rays are built for the postseason? Because obviously they won, you know, the pennant last year, so they're they're doing okay with whatever they're trying. But they seem to have like this very nondescript. You know, you're going through their lineup, and you've got you know Wander Franco is coming into his own. You've got guys who are good. Obviously, up and down the lineup, it's like they're going to give you quality at bats. You're going to get some guys who are. Uh, you know, good at throwing the baseball, good starters, a very, very, very deep bullpen. How are they going to translate to the postseason? Is that just, have they found some sort of formula that works? I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, Grant. I was going to ask you, like the Rays and the Giants are tied for the for the best record, best winning percentage in baseball now. Uh, they had an extremely hot August. And I was going to ask you, like, I think obviously like the fact that they're where they are and the division that they're in, they are really good, and they went to the World Series last year. We're talking about, the, and obviously they lost Snell and and Charlie Morton. But talk to me, like, what is going on? Like, how are they doing this? Because if you look at their offense, and it's like there's nothing that super jumps out at you as like, oh, they're crushing it. It's actually kind of mediocre. But you do see a lot of athletes, a lot of great defenders, some speed. Manuel Margot, uh, he's like a six ninety nine OPS, but he can fly. What are they doing? Like, even if you look at Nelson Cruz, his OPS isn't that great. The Rays and Giants are analogous in a couple of different ways because 
what they're doing and the reason that they are, as of this recording, tied for the best record in baseball is they are not giving at-bats or innings to players who shouldn't be in the major leagues. And that is really important and underrated. It's not just having Mike Trout. You know, it's not just having uh, Otani. It's not just having superstars and the best players and that's how you win. There is a lot of value in just making sure that every last scrap of Every baseball game is going to a player who should be there. And I think the Rays are excellent at that, where you are, they're sending up, anyone that they're sending up is uh, going to have like a a reason to be there, whether it's uh, their defense or, you know, they have a lot of good at bats. Every pitcher who is throwing an inning for them is going to be there because he has stuff. He has command. He has command of the stuff. He has the ability to prevent runs. And if he doesn't, he's gone, right? They they aren't shy about getting this guy off the team. Yoshi Satsugo, uh, he was on the team at the beginning of the season. Now he's not. They figured they couldn't work with him. I mean, they're not shy about that sort of thing. And the Giants are the same way, where you've got guys like Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey having all-star seasons. So it's not as if they are totally just nameless and faceless, but it's just a lot of guys who are doing good things, average things, above average things. And it's just all throughout the 26-man roster. That said, I don't know how that works in the postseason. It seems like it should work just as well, but it it's a different approach to like top heavy teams. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like they have a bullpen that's phenomenal. Like their bullpen arms and their bullpen ERA looks amazing. They have athletes, they're gonna give you solid at bats. Starting pitchers, like they don't have anyone that jumps out of the page besides Glasnow, who's been hurt for a while. So they're doing it with like Let's grind out a game and then let's get to our bullpen and they're going to handle business is what is what the stats are showing me. So, yeah, I, I don't know right now. Like they obviously had a great August. I'm still high on the Yankees. Like if I'm looking at like if I'm going like the top three in the American League, I think I'm going Astros, Yankees, then Rays. That is, I think, fair. I'm going to take the Rays, though. And here's why. Um, not as like the best team uh, in general, but just. I think that their biggest strength, and it's an underrated strength and it's one that not everyone talks about, is their defense. I think their defense is going to show up in the postseason. You know what team also has a really good defense is uh, the Astros. The Astros, if you're looking at the outs above average on Baseball Savant, I believe the Astros are number one. The Giants are up there. The A's are up there. I mean, for so many years, the A's were just a lousy defensive team, but that's way in the past. Now they're excellent defensively. The Rays, though, I think that's one of the secrets to their pitching is that they track those balls down. They're good at catching the balls, and they've got pitchers who can miss bats. And when you've got bat messers in baseball catchers like that's a good combination in the postseason yeah uh i mean i definitely think that defense and and pitching is is most important and and if you look at like the astros offense and like the fact that you know bregman's coming back and getting healthy this is like a you know he's a big game player they just have dudes that can swing it you know yuli guriel you know getting healthy at bats 852 ops it's just like everyone you're facing is like an 800, 850 OPS in that whole lineup. And it seems like they're all kind of getting healthy at the right time. And, you know, the addition of Graveman, uh, where they kind of needed some back-end bullpen. They have they have several starters that are all solid. It's just like everyone's kind of hovering in a 3 to 3-5 three ERA. And then you can get to, you know, Ryan Presley and Kendall Graveman, who, you know, everyone talks about. You know, the White Sox, Kimbrell and Hendricks, which is insane. But like Ryan Presley is a 1.83 and and Graveman is like, oh, wait, he gave a couple runs up. So he was a couple days ago uh, once. So he must have had a blowout inning. But 
I don't know. I think that that, that definitely can battle it. You have Stanek, you have, uh, you know, Blake Taylor. So they have some, they just have some arms. And the fact that their offense is just a click above is what to me gives the, the Astros the edge. If the season were to end uh, today, you would have the Yankees and Red Sox in the wild card game. And I know it's a little bit trite to want to see that. It seems like it's very obvious, like, oh, you know, the, the networks would love that one. At the same time, I really want to see that. I really, 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 just as theater, I think the Red Sox and uh, Yankees in a wild card matchup would be fantastic theater. It would be great, but I'm still sticking with Yankees and A's. I just, uh, I, I, like you said, I'm not going to be upset. I don't know why I haven't been feeling the Red Sox, even though I know they're great and they're a great organization. They run really well. And it would be great to see the Yankees and the Red Sox, but I just, I don't know. I just like the grindy Oakland A's and, uh, you know, West Coast, East Coast is just fine for me. But I'm just a fan of how they they, they play baseball, how they run their operation, how they make the most out of uh, what they have over there. And uh, I just think they're a rowdy group that has some great pitchers and, and a really solid bullpen and some grindy, grindy players. I like grindy as an adjective. That's a good adjective. Grindy. They are grindy. <laughs> as I'm like taking a step back and looking at it like the fact that the Rays are 84 and 48 in the east in the AL East which is a psycho division just says that there's more to me than meets the eye with what you look at on paper with the Rays there's there's no coincidence that their record is that good and that division is banana sandwich <laughs> it is it is and if you're looking at the the National League wild card you've got whichever team most likely barring a, a historic collapse there's going to be a team fighting for the right to go into either San Francisco or Los Angeles, whether it is the Padres, whether it is the Reds or the Cardinals, the Phillies, you know, the Mets aren't exactly out of it. One of these teams is going to grind and grind and grind for the right to go into either San Francisco and Los Angeles. Talk to me about your experience in 2014 going into Pittsburgh, and that was as loud of a baseball stadium as I've ever heard. How do you prepare for that when you're going into such a hostile environment? That was 100% the loudest stadium I had ever been at, even though it got really quiet after Crawford's home run, Grand Slam. But before and like the announcements, it was so freaking loud and you had so much adrenaline pumping. It was so hard to stay calm for that. But we set all of these intentions. We knew that like the Pirates had set Garrett Cole to pitch the last game. They lost the division on the last day. And, you know, the Council of Elders and all of the guys, we, we were talking and we were like, we have to have an attitude that we are priming ourselves. We're, we're getting, we're saving Bumgarner. We're timing our ace. We're priming ourselves. Like, yeah, we took the pain of losing the division in, in LA. And once again, like I said, that whole second half, all we did was face ones and twos. We are coming in with the attitude that, hell yeah, we're in the wild card game. Our mission wasn't to win the division. Our mission was to win the World Series. This is all we care about. And we still have a chance to win the World Series. So we are coming into Pittsburgh pumped to be here we are set with our a guy we came in and, and we just we had our meetings we came together we we're like listen like anything the mind can conceive and the heart believe you can achieve how do you see yourself let's be in this together you know the same thing pv was amazing gave that speech right before we got up there and you know what crawford stepped up bumgarner stepped up but we had an attitude and we made sure that it was a mission that we weren't like oh no we lost the division we were like hell yeah let's go get it so that was kind of our our way is just buying into each other and buying into being excited and then the giants went in in 2016 into new york and did that i mean that's two why i'm bringing that up is it's not just like 
a given that a team's going to go in and get steamrolled by the Giants at home or the Dodgers at home. There is danger in any team going in in a one game. Listen, if the Orioles came into San Francisco or Los Angeles to play the Giants or Dodgers, the Orioles would scare me not as much as other teams, but like one game is is rough. So which team, if you're the Giants or the Dodgers, which of the National League wildcard contenders would scare you the most for that one game? You got to look at like who has the best ace. And honestly, I would want to have a little more time to do details. But if I'm going to say like who would scare me the most right now, like if I'm just thinking of who are the best starting pitchers, it would be if the Mets got DeGrom back or Philadelphia and Wheeler if they're fresh. Like because those are the those are two of the, you know, Cy Young and, and just elite elite. Like if you have one game, this is the pitcher you want. But I would have to look at like because it's a lot of times it's who's hot. And like, for instance, when we the Giants went into Pittsburgh, Edison Volquez is who we were facing and he had a 1.18 in the last month. So like he hadn't given up a run or lost a game in forever. He was pitching really well. So a lot of times that's in effect. But even that, you know, Bumgarner just was the was kind of had that playoff. He, he steps up the bigger the game, the better he is. And, um, and and like you said, one game of baseball, anything can happen. One thing that makes me think if the Giants, the Giants, as of this recording, are a half game up on the Dodgers in the NL West. Uh, that's as tenuous as their lead has been in a while. And one thing I think the Giants do well, and they just have that depth that we're talking about. They're not giving away innings or at-bats to, to players who shouldn't be there. In a one-game playoff, though, or play-in, do you think, like, is Logan Webb, has he stepped up as like a guy you would want as the starter for a possible wildcard game? Oh, 100% for the Giants if they're in the wildcard game. Logan Webb is, is, their, is their number one right now. It's not even like, I mean, it's, it's debatable with Gossman, but like the second half, like he has been absolutely as dominant as it comes. He's been on fire and he's, he's electric. And so right now, Logan Webb is, is kind of the core for the Giants and, and he's going to, he, he should be the number one going forward, I believe. But they got, September is looking a little scary. Obviously they had, they're kind of, couple bad games here in a row they got hit with the COVID bug and you know a couple players on the COVID IL that are really you know big pieces uh, of their success so hopefully they can get that healthy and, and get back out there and, and and running but like the Dodgers are just healthy they're on fire they're prime so it's going to be a fun battle to watch but like if you're if you're looking right now at kind of the trend and how their bullpen's coming together their starting pitchers are getting healthy the Dodgers are kind of looking to be the powerhouse of the National League for sure. One of the open questions uh, for the Giants all season was, hey, how about this bullpen? Well, their bullpen has been uh, Jake McKee, Tyler Rogers, uh, Harlan Garcia, Jose Alvarez, Zach Littell. Like, they found their guys. Even Jay Jackson is going out there and striking out 13 guys per nine innings. So, like, they found that bullpen, and then they turn around, and you've got questions uh, uh, on 60% of your rotation, where you've got Alex Wood on the COVID IL. You've got Johnny Cueto. He didn't go on the IL, but he did not look sharp on Tuesday night. Night. You've got Desclafani, who's uh, had an abbreviated outing and his ankle seems to be a recurring issue. That was more precautionary. There aren't too many red flags. But even when you get to Gosman, like he's not as dominant as he was in the first half. So is this just everything happening at the wrong time for the Giants? Should they be panicking a little bit or should they say, no, we've, we've figured it out before. We'll figure it out again. With the Giants, every time they've had a bit of a hiccup, they just keep plugging away. They just keep putting their head down and just going to work and going to work. And another big injury, how are they going to handle this? 
they keep going to work. Say someone steps up. So I do think that this is going to be a grindy September. It's going to be a fun and wild race to watch between the Dodgers and the Giants and this NL wildcard race. I think it's an exciting time to be a baseball fan. It's the most exciting month. And I would not count the Giants out of winning the division. I still think they have what it takes to pull it off. And even though they're in a really tough spot right now with, you know, Johnny wasn't feeling very well and he pitched through it and didn't look his sharpest. And I think that was him trying to like battle up for the fellows because the bullpen is pitching outstanding, but they keep having to pitch every, you know, like because Alex Wood just got hit with the COVID, they had to pitch the whole game. So they're definitely in the trenches right now, but I am going to enjoy watching. I think they have the bullets. I think they have a, a very strong group that just answers every call. And, and this is another time, you know, we're starting September kind of on the back foot, but every time they've been on the back foot, they've answered it. And I, I know they have what it takes. So if you're picking the favorite, it has to be the Dodgers, but I think the Giants are going to upset them and they're going to take the division. Yeah, I think two things can be true. I think one, the Giants still have a, obviously an excellent shot at the division. The second thing is that if we're looking at all the teams and we, we've kind of skirted around this a little bit, if I have to pick one team out of 30 that would scare me the most in the postseason, the team that is built to win the World Series, look, it's the Dodgers. It's still the Dodgers. You're talking Walker, Bueller, and Max Scherzer, and, and Julio Arias, and, and the lineup is like a joke. They've been scuffling a little bit lately, but it's still Max Muncy. It's still Mookie Betts. It's still Will Smith. It's like It is just a, an embarrassment of riches. It always has been. It just seems more now that everything's coalesced a little bit and Kershaw is going to come back. It seems like, oh, that's right. They're an embarrassment of riches. They're definitely a, a very talented, very, you know, they have the big names and, and they have what it takes. And and that's a valid point, you know, but I'm just not going to say <laughs> the Dodgers. Uh, I know I should be objective here, uh, oh, but nobody's I'm objective. feeling it's tough to pick a true number one. I think the Yankees have are poised to do some things, uh, some stuff and things. But I think there's a lot of teams like the Brewers. I really think that it's it's almost like six teams are all smeltered into that, like, could win this all. I think it's going to be an incredible last month of the season to see who all gets in. And I think it's kind of up for grabs. But I could see where you could say the Dodgers might be a little bit above, but I don't think it's enough to be like, they're the one and only. That is fair. That is fair. All right. This has been episode 21 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. We will be back next week. We'll have a little bit more information on what's going on in these races, and uh, we'll see you then, and we'll talk baseball, because that's what we do. Thanks for listening. I love coffee! <laughs>